The Dauntless Gambit by Eric Flowers. Narrated by Chris Lynch. Episode 34, An Unofficial Ancillary Asset. The sound of Kin's footfalls felt unusually audible against the Terminus's carpeted corridor floor. All of her senses seemed heightened, even above her usual level of perceptiveness, more sentiment and feeling than her normal rational thought. Nothing was different, physically at least. The massive ship was still the same, still orbiting the Imperium's home planet, still standing watch over the people who believed they were living under threat of attack. Part of that was true. There was a force working against the Imperium, though it had yet to be correctly identified in the weeks since Starview Station let the people of Kestris know they were not safe even in the heart of the Empire. It had been a day since she and Lieutenant Yadov returned from their truncated interview with Agent Julian Siddig. They had submitted their report to Major Drake, who had acknowledged its receipt, but offered no comment. As to how this report influenced his private request for Kin to watch Commander Tao, he'd made no further comment on that either. Kin rounded the corner of another corridor, identical to all the rest, Terminus crew members passing her without any special acknowledgement. And why should they? Kin's status as a 5e operative was securely hidden, and with no new orders from either Clark or Drake to stand down, it was all Kin could do to maintain the appearance of the lieutenant everyone believed her to be while serving, while carrying out her multitude of conflicting responsibilities. While the appearance of Director Clark, Siddig's superior, and unbeknownst to anyone else, Kins, had foiled the gathering of relevant intel for the Indigo investigation. The director had convincingly reacted to her presence as if he'd never met her. In fact, his display of anger had been genuine. OS-9 was using one of Clark's own operatives against him, and as long as Kin was aboard the Terminus, her outward behavior needed to align with Major Drake's orders, meaning she and Director Clark were at professional odds on the surface. However, the Major had made it clear to Kin that he did really not suspect Clark or his people in matters concerning a betrayal of the Empire. After the interview with Agent Siddig, it appeared both Agent Siddig and Mori were likely not relevant to the Terminus Compromise, and if Kin handled her upcoming meeting with Yadov delicately enough, she might be able to guide the fellow lieutenant into suspecting Tao without revealing Drake or Clark's special interest in the commander. Having Yadov working with Kin would help legitimize her secret interest in Tao and distance the Navy version of Kin from the 5e version. The more she could get OS-9's actions to align with her 5e orders, the less she had to hide. Miradesi, hey! Kin stopped, stepping aside to allow a pair of crew members to pass as she turned to look behind her. Sergeant Lee was jogging casually toward her, one hand conspicuously hiding something behind his back. A surge of panic pulled at her gut as a vision of Lee's arm swinging up a bolt pistol flashed in her mind. Before Kin could do more than stifle a gulp, Lee came to a stop, mischievous but innocent smile on his face. I knew I saw you hurrying past. I took your advice, Lee said, bouncing his eyebrows as he spoke. Kin tilted her head, the momentary, mistaken panic at odds with her curiosity about Lee's vague conversation prompt. Advice, Sergeant Lee? Yeah, you know, about books. Things are heating up around here, and the Terminus seems like the place to be. I want to be closer to the action, you know? The stuff like you do, real intelligence, so I'm brushing up. Kin smiled, a subtle hum her only response. Lee brought his arm around. In his hand was a book, 
a red polymer cover wrapped around the perfectly cut synthetic pages far too white to be actual paper. A peculiar object for the sergeant, this sergeant, to be holding. Lee noticed Ken eyeing the book in his hand and smiled broadly. He brought the book to his chest so Ken could read the title pressed into the cover's surface. Introduction to Quantum Cryptography. Ken raised an eyebrow. The sergeant had managed to surprise her. Excellent choice. Though this volume is typically found in secondary schools. Is this your first foray into quantum computing? Lee reared back, staring down at the book in exaggerated perplexity. Well, I mean, I gotta start somewhere if I want to get interesting assignments like yours. Lee patted his hand against the book, softly clearing his throat. Hesitation. Anxiety. And about that. See, I was wondering if, you know, as part of the learning process, if I could help you with anything a little more relevant to the situation at hand. The Kestrel stuff? I'm down on Deck 55 analyzing reports, datasets, mostly just sifting data without any context. I feel like a human computer. Kin's smile faded slightly at the reference. Lee seemed not to share her affinity for the comparison. Sergeant, while I cannot disclose any details of what I am or am not working on, I do not believe your clearance level is elevated enough for even the lowest levels of RCA. Kin had no need to check. Lee was nowhere near the level needed. Lee shrugged, wincing at the reminder. I know, right now at least. But if you were to put in a request, say that you need some extra hands on the situation, someone with a different breadth of experience, provisional access could be given. I'm good at what I do, Miradesi. You wouldn't regret it. The statement about Lee's skills as a data processor were not incorrect. He had received a meets expectations rating at each of his postings. It was the sergeant's other, more frivolous proclivities that seemed to keep him out of the more sensitive, or as Lee put it, interesting assignments. Kin began to speak, but stopped. Her unfiltered, natural response to Lee's assertion may be blunter than the sergeant would appreciate, objective or not. She recalibrated her response, taking a more encouraging approach. Lee seemed to be genuine, if misguided, in his pursuit of an elevated assignment. There was no telling when someone like him might be of value as the indigo investigation deepened. Perhaps she could mentor him, help the sergeant learn what it meant to inhabit a role within a high-stakes intelligent operation such as OS-9. Given the stakes Kin must carry herself, allies might become a resource in short supply. Certainly, Sergeant. It is something I can consider and update you on at a later time, Kin said pleasantly, the statement sufficiently truthful and noncommittal. Lee pressed his lips together and nodded, gripping the book with both hands. Sure, sure. He looked over Kin's shoulder, grimacing and sucking his teeth. I better get going. Thanks again, Meridesi. I'll keep an eye out for you. Lee smiled again looking over Kin's shoulder before spinning on his heel and sauntering back the way he had come. Kin hummed softly, already knowing who she would see once she turned around, a warmth in her chest blossoming at the sound. Lee being a nuisance, Lieutenant? Yadov's voice sounded from behind. Kin turned, smiling as her investigation partner approached, data pad under her arm and mug in her hand. It was afternoon, which meant lemon tea. Morning would mean coffee. Not at all. The sergeant is merely displaying what I would consider an appropriate level of ambition for one aboard the Terminus during these unusual times, Ken said, looking back the way Lee had gone. His aspiration could be a career advantage once he accepts that fitting in is sometimes more important than standing out. 
Kin turned back to Yadav, who grimaced. Maybe. His type? They watched the action vids when they were young, thinking that Navy life is all about bolt fire and broadsides. They join up, get stuck on a ship, and realize that most of what we do now involves sifting through endless data trails and making sure our uniforms are within regulations. Yadav huffed. Then let a smile appear on her lips. Speaking of, yours appears to be well within regs, and I believe we're due to sift through some of the aforementioned data. Kin bowed her head, admiring the lines of her always immaculate uniform. Yes to both, please. She gestured to the corridor. Yadav turned, and the two proceeded to their reserved analysis room, exchanging the same common small talk and pleasantries they did each time they met. With strict compartmentalization hindering them from speaking about investigations in public, padding their meetups with banter was a workplace necessity until they reached a sealed door. They arrived at the analysis room and entered, doors shutting and sealing behind them. The room was divided by a smooth black glass desk that faced a large vid screen on the opposite wall. Four chairs lined the same side of the desk facing the vid screen. Unlike the corridors of the terminus, this room's decor consisted of all muted blacks and grays, ideal for focusing on the oversized display. This data analysis room had been reserved for the Indigo investigation. While inside, no member of the Terminus's security crew or even other members of OS-9 could gain physical or system access. Not even Major Drake or the Fleet Marshal could access what transpired. For the time being, Kin and Yadov were alone. Kin walked to the pair of seats in the center and pulled them both out, gesturing politely to one. Welcome to our first indigo working session, Lieutenant, Kin said with a smile. Yadov walked to the desk and set her data pad and mug on the glossy surface, then eased herself down into the chair. Thank you, Yadov said, picking up her mug again and holding it between her hands. You know, one of us may need a promotion. We can't always be repeating, Lieutenant, 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 each time we talk. Kin smiled taking the seat next to her. You can address me by name when we are alone. In fact, it has been quite some time since I have heard anyone use it aboard the Terminus. Yadov smiled as she took a sip of her tea. Kin could smell the lemon vapor. Well, Kin, how long? Kin paused. An unexpected feeling of familiarity at the sound of Yadov speaking her name. Thirty-eight days. A former classmate from the Naval Academy had been assigned to the Terminus, and we spoke in a recreation center, a slight breach of protocol, one I'm sure the Major would forgive. Yadav used her mug to gesture to the vid screen on the wall. So tell me, what do we have? Kin tapped the desk's surface, and it came to life with a glow. She entered some commands, and the classified report she had prepared appeared on the wall-sized vid screen, displaying four Imperium identification photographs. Mori, Sittig, Clark, and Tao. Prior to the events on Starview Station, each of these four had been a model agent for 5e, with a great deal of overlapping operations and encounters. Yadov held her mug near her chin, rolling it slowly between her hands. Four people seemingly up to something, giving the obvious irregularities in Mori's Section 42 and the behavior from the other three, but not necessarily Indigo's concern. What's our baseline on them? Kin angled her face away from Yadov toward the screen careful not to let recognition of her 5e superior taint her expression. Director Clark has been in the Imperium for his entire career. He spent 24 years in the Navy before being selected to head up a 5e division 11 years ago. For the most part, he has dealt with operations outside of Imperium space, 
or, when required to operate within the Empire, with parties that are from outside. Like the Red Kestrels, Yadov leaned forward, elbow resting on the desk as she gestured to the screen. Is there any statement on record about why he went the government route and didn't move into military intelligence? Kin nodded. Yes, sealed records, extensively redacted, show that his transfer out of the Navy was done per his request after an incident with another Navy commander. The record does not indicate with whom. Clark's record has an honorable discharge from the Navy. Kin suppressed a sigh and a tingle of guilt at prying into Clark's background without his knowledge. Whatever the incident was that precipitated his departure, there is no record, sealed or otherwise. I would surmise that this was a condition only known to Director Clark and whoever he struck the deal with. Must have been serious, Yadav huffed. Is there any cause to believe that this incident is relevant to our investigation? Kin shook her head, eager to divert attention away from Clark and by proxy, herself. It is possible, but unlikely. The amount of unrelated professional secrets an intelligence director in 5e may be hiding could occupy us for months and be no more than fruitless distractions. I am more interested in the other three. Yadov set down the mug and leaned forward, placing her elbow on the desk and angling her body toward Kin's. Kin did not pull away. Okay, how about them? Kin shrunk the image of Director Clark, grateful to be moving past her primary order giver, and centered Mori, Siddig, and Tao on the screen. I spent several hours digesting the personnel files and relevant mission records for each. While each has a storied and, if I may use the aphorism, checkered past, if we are containing our interests solely on indigo-related concerns, they may be nothing more than distractions as well. Yadov shrugged. Better to rule them out. The major once dead ends identified. Between Tao's bizarre behavior and the dramatics from Clark and Siddig down on the surface, makes it hard to trust any of them. And Siddig's little hints about indigo? He didn't say it by name, but he knew. 5e is always interfering in places outside of their area of focus, an organization in desperate need of an overhaul or elimination. She exhaled with disdain. Please, continue. Kin nodded, feeling another pang of guilt. Her primary role was as a 5e operative, but she'd spent no time with the agency and knew almost no one outside of Director Clark and her training team, and now Agent Siddig. Maintaining the other persona of the OS-9 officer was not difficult. What was turning out to be more difficult than expected was compartmentalizing the feelings the deception created. Yadav was a friend, and each time Kin spoke about anything regarding Indigo, she was lying to that friend. How long could she maintain this? Kin pushed the feelings aside. There would be time to sort them out later. The displays on the wall changed, and a new profile appeared in the center. Agent Samantha Mori. Up until her disappearance and subsequent Section 42, she had reported to Director Clark for the past six years. Her record is exemplary, coming out of the Imperium Intelligence Academy near the top of her class, moving up through the ranks of the civilian organizations quickly before requesting to be assigned to Clark's division. She took a step backwards in her career to be appointed as an off-planet clandestine operative. Yadov sucked her teeth, seeming to put all the pieces together as Kin had hoped. So she gave up a visible role in exchange for an invisible one. Not uncommon for those who are more interested in the freedom that fieldwork affords than the thankless monotony of administrative work. Any indication as to her specific motivation for requesting the change? Kin turned to meet Yadov's eyes, 
glad to be speaking on something that did not require juggling conflicting internal identities. There is no written record, but given Agent Mori's background, I have a hypothesis. Yadav's eyes widened playfully. Oh, a hypothesis that fast? Kin shrugged. It is not much of a leap. Samantha Mori is the daughter of the late Aeon Mori. He was an Imperium diplomat and popular state leader up until the time of his death during an unsanctioned visit to the fringe planet of Dridari 24 years ago. Dridari, Yadav said softly, flattening her lips as she nodded. The Red Kestrel Planet of Origin. That is correct. Kin tapped the console and sent a report up to the vid screen. The record of Ian Mori's death was classified even from the sealed government record. I had to use an indigo override to retrieve it. Kin tapped the interface surface, and the image of a classified report and photo appeared. Ian Mori was on Dridari without Imperium approval, on what appears to be personal business. He had taken his private cruiser there along with his wife, Mallory, also killed in the same event. The investigation at the time indicates there was a quarrel between the Moris and the two founding members of, what was at the time, the newly formed Red Kestrels, Reed Casto and Jack Sagan. The classified account holds either Casto or Sagan responsible for the eventual casualties, though Casto is the one who remains living to correct the record. Both 5E and OS9 are already scouring the sector for Casto to no avail, who is no doubt being assisted by the unknown perpetrators that Indigo is seeking to identify. Yadov exhaled, slow and deep. Right. So both of Mori's parents died on Drudari at the hands of the Red Kestrels. No suspected motivations for either the Moris or the Kestrel founders? Kin shook her head again. Records are unclear. The ones I was able to retrieve are incomplete, redacted, or an obvious cover. At the time, it was a major embarrassment for the Imperium. A story was created and leaked to the press about a diplomatic mission gone bad, but the truth behind Aeon's reasons for being there died with him and his wife. Yadov tapped the desk, scrunching her lips together. This is the type of trauma someone can build a life around. It gives Samantha Mori plenty of motivation to pursue the career path she did. Doing clandestine work for Director Clark as a cover for personal revenge against those who killed her family. It doesn't fit the profile of someone I would expect to flip, seemingly out of nowhere, and assist the Red Kestrels. If anything, her hatred of them would transcend any career ambition. It would for me. Kin bowed her head, remembering Yadov's former assignment on the sacrifice Dauntless. Agreed. Neither my deductions nor instincts lead me to believe that Agent Mori is relevant to the Indigo Compromise. I do have another hypothesis, though. Yadov's somber expression shifted to one of amusement. Do you ever share a hypothesis you aren't actually 100% certain of? She asked, smiling and tilting her head. Kin pondered the statement. Indeed, for if I were 100% certain, it would not be a hypothesis. It would be an answer. Yadov chuckled softly. By all means, Ken, share your hypothesis. Ken tipped her head towards the vid screen as the images of Commander Tao and Director Clark appeared next to Agent Morris. Commander Rennick Tao, former 5E agent. Before his simultaneous transfer into the Imperium Navy and promotion to the acting head of the Naval Special Investigation Division, he reported to a Director Murray Sampson, whose 5E operations focused on Imperium citizens and organizations. Beginning five years ago, Tao was often paired to work alongside Agents Mori and Siddick when Clark and Samson's operations overlapped. 
Yadov pointed to the display, eagerness in her voice. So Tao and Mori were partners. Tao alluded to a friendship during Drake's meeting, but this seems like more than that. Kin nodded. Yes, they appeared to have quite the working relationship. Their joint missions had a flawless success rate. They worked together frequently for the first few years, but two years ago, that stopped. Given the detailed psychological profiles 5e maintains on their agents, I suspect the decline in mission frequency was due to what I call personal friction between the two. Yadov nodded, a rueful grin on her lips. They blurred the line between professional and personal relationships, and when things go bad, they don't want to be together in the field anymore, which turns them from objects of affection to ones of scorn. Yadov placed her hand on the desk, assembling the pieces Kin had already assembled a few hours earlier. If we combine this information with Tao's attempts to implicate both Mori and Siddig during the Major's meeting, it would appear that Tao is using her disappearance to reinforce a story he's trying to sell, not expecting us to look beneath the surface. Kin smiled, turned to face Yadov. Excellent, Lieutenant. I mean, Esme. Yes. I believe this is the root of Commander Tao's odd behaviors, and why the interview we conducted with Siddig turned out to be largely irrelevant to Indigo. Tao never intended it to be. One thing, Yadov said, holding up a hand. Why throw Agent Mori into the Indigo crosshairs? That feels too impulsive for Tao. He must know that careful scrutiny would rule her out, especially after we got a hold of Agent Siddig. Yadov was nearly at the conclusion Kin needed her to reach. Since she couldn't tell Yadov that both Director Clark and Major Drake wanted Tao as a primary person of interest, it had to be a genuine arrival. I believe you are correct. It was a tactic. Tao wanted to create a diversion. If we draw the link between Clark, Mori, and Tao, we get this sequence. Clark, for reasons we do not know, orders Mori to vanish and continue her pursuit against the Red Kestrels, issuing a Section 42 as cover. Tao finds out about Mori's absence after he has assumed his new role in the Navy. Just as Tao shared in the meeting, he looks at the situation. Mori is gone, and she was recently on a mission on Sonali, in contact with the Red Kestrels. Then she disappears the day of the Starview attack. Tao knows of her personal vendetta against the Red Kestrels, and that it is highly unlikely she would side with them. Yet he proposed that scenario anyway with a fabricated emotional performance in front of Major Drake. Why? Yadov's eyes narrowed. She'd made the link. Yadov's hand slowly closed into a fist as she spoke. Siddig hinted he was aware of the Terminus Compromise. That means Director Clark and Agent Mori are as well. And if Tao realized that Mori is looking for Red Kestrel collaboration from within the Navy, specifically from the Terminus under someone in Fleet Marshal Gallo's command structure, Tao must be... Kin placed her hand on Yadov's arm, a swell of pride in her chest. Yes, you have it. Yadov closed her eyes, voice hardening more with each word. He's part of the compromise. And Mori, Clark, and Siddig are, knowingly or not, on his trail. We cannot be sure they know who they are specifically looking for, but Rennick now knows who is looking for him. And if they didn't suspect him before, they certainly will now. Yes, Kin squeezed Yadov's forearm. I believe Tao has reacted rashly and made a damning strategic error, believing that polluting the Indigo investigation with his face-value diversion would slow down any explorations that could lead toward him. Commander Tao has outed himself, Yadav said, resolve filling her voice. Have you shared this with the Major? 
Mori and Siddig may not be acutely relevant to Indigo, but I believe we have enough to make Tau more than relevant. We need to act. Kin took a breath. She must tread lightly. Drake already had his doubts about Tau, but that wasn't something that had been shared with Yadov. Kin quickly sorted out the three sources of orders she was managing. Clark's orders, Drake's indigo orders, and Drake's private orders. All three must be maintained in that order. First, she needed Yadov's assistance with Clark. No, I have not, Kin said, releasing Yadov's arm. On its own, all I have is this plausible but wholly unsubstantiated hypothesis. I am sure you can imagine what mishandling this information could mean. Yadov sighed deeply and tapped her finger on the desk. If Tao becomes aware of this, or we enter any of this into the Indigo record, we've given him and any conspirators advanced warning, and they all vanish. Damn. Okay. She folded her arms and leaned back in the chair. If Tao is culpable, he couldn't do this alone. He'd be a pawn. That means he's leveraged to reach whoever's controlling him. So what do we need to secure Tao's guilt or innocence? Kin tapped the control surface and pointed to the screen. Only Tao and Siddig's photos remained. We need evidence, irrefutable, and not just on Commander Tao, but whomever else he is connected to. Kin turned her body toward Yadov, placing a hand on her shoulder. You and I have to get it, Esme, not OS-9. It was a regrettable request, one Kin did not enjoy making of the loyal and fair-playing lieutenant. Kin respected Yadov, but she also worried how the request could impact their relationship, or potential relationship, if Yadov ever found out Kin had been driven by duplicitous motivations. Yadov's eyes narrowed on the pictures of Tao and Siddig. Wait, an unanswered question slipped my mind, though probably not yours. Oh, I do not follow, Kin said, surprised at her own lack of insight into what Yadov was alluding to. She let her hand fall back to her lap, noting how her instincts had suggested she not. Siddig hinted to us that he already knew about the compromise on Terminus. We denied it out of obligation, and then were interrupted by Director Clark. But he was certain, and Tao wasn't his source. Siddig already knew from somewhere else. Yadav was right. A flush of shame washed across Kin's body. How had she neglected to explore this? Kin replayed the conversation in the interrogation room. Siddig alluded, Yadav denied. Siddig alluded again, Yadav denied. Siddig stopped alluding and spoke plainly. Then Clark entered before they could probe further. Kin swallowed her embarrassment. I apologize. I... I must have conflated Siddig's hints with Clark's intrusion and then conflated those with Commander Tao's actions. But Esme, you are right. Somehow, Director Clark and Agent Siddig have independent knowledge of the Terminus's compromise, which means they also know that it leads to the Dauntless hijacking and the Starview attack. And yet... They have not shared this knowledge with their own organization, the Navy, or anyone else, except us. Yadov raised an eyebrow, a gentle, crooked smile on her lips. Kin, I arrived at a conclusion before you? Recent events must really have your mind occupied. A press-lipped smile and hum was Kin's response. Yadov continued and tapped the control interface and Agent Mori's photo reappeared. She stabbed her finger back up toward the vid screen. Agent Mori is Section 42 for a reason. Look at the sequence and how it puts her as the only person who is able to operate freely. It's a classic blacker-than-black operation. Clark sacrifices the legitimacy of one of his own, 
cuts her off so she can pursue this from the outside as a rogue agent. To take this drastic of action, think about how they could have come about this intel. We, Navy Intelligence, learned about the Indigo investigation through internal channels. Where else could someone learn about the Red Kestrel's role in all of this? Yadav asked, both eyebrows raised in anticipation. Oh my, Kin whispered. Yadav made a fist and softly pounded it on the desk. The old-fashioned way. Maury and Siddick discovered this from the outside, from the Red Kestrels, and withheld it from 5E, OS9, everyone. They knew and determined the only course of action was, well, this. Kin's eyes flitted back and forth between the three photos on the screen. She had missed the link. Entrusting Yadav to help had been all that had redeemed that lapse. Kin's growing affections were not without good cause. She turned to Yadav. It appears so. Esme, I believe a more hospitable conversation with Agent Siddig is in order. Yadav paused. Kin could see the slight twitches in her eyes as she processed. Finally, the staunch OS-9 demeanor softened, leaving a glimmer of mischief in Yadav's eyes for the first time since they had met. Okay, okay. Siddig may not be an indigo concern, but he can be one of ours, an unofficial ancillary asset. Kin tapped a few commands into the console, and the vid screen faded to black. I will arrange a meeting, unofficial and ancillary. The two women stood up and walked to the door. Kin reminded herself that she was acting in the Imperium and Navy's interests. Pursuing Siddig, and by proxy, Director Clark, was consistent with her OS-9 role as well as Major Drake's orders, even if it put her tangentially at odds with the Director. She still had not received any further instruction from Clark, and given the proximity of their roles around Commander Tau, it might be too risky to expect more. Yadav took a sip from her mug and wrinkled her nose. It was likely cold by now. She held it between both hands, looking down into the vessel. Kin? Yadav asked, hesitation in her voice. Yes, Kin replied, equally hesitant. Care to get more tea with me? Kin took note of the time, a flutter of irritation at the terminus work schedules dampening her mood. Evening aboard the flagship was approaching, and she would not be off-duty for several hours. She needed to devise a way to contact Agent Siddig outside of Imperium knowledge. That would take time. Time that needed to be spent on mission. She sighed at the need for delay. Instead of tea, perhaps we can take dinner together once our shifts are over. Four hours? Yadov smiled, bowing her head. Meet you in the atrium? Kin returned the bow. I look forward to it. Yadov smiled again and left Kin at the door. Kin's smile faded as she watched her leave. Pursuing Tao and Siddig was aligned with both of her missions. Pursuing Yadav was aligned with neither. Which Kin had proposed the dinner? The 5E agent, the OS-9 analyst, or the person who was caught in between? Julian's fingertips brushed against the thin cylindrical object he desperately sought beneath the desk of his ransacked off-site office. A thrill of elation surged through his body as his hand wrapped around the pencil that had been so callously, irrelevantly, and disrespectfully flung across the room by Rennick. Ah, he murmured, crawling out from beneath the desk, office floor littered with fallen books, papers, and other remnants of Julian's vandalized eccentric ephemera. Find what you need, agent, asked one of the guards, Agent Isaac, whom Clark had insisted escort Julian to his office. While Julian felt perfectly safe with the two men accompanying him, they were certainly more of the, as Samantha put it, 
shoot-and-stab type rather than the more cerebral of 5E's personnel. Julian got to his feet, holding his delicate writing implement aloft triumphantly. Indeed, it may appear insignificant, but I am sure you are familiar with the saying about the relative mightiness of pen versus sword. Agent Isaac chuckled and turned to the other guard, Agent Kaplan, before shrugging at Julian. Hey, you don't need to justify superstition to me. See this? Agent Isaac held out his wrist, a worn red string tied tightly around it. A friend brought this back to me from a monastery out in the fringe five years ago. Said a pair of nuns wove it. They sell it as a prayer cord, but it's probably just string they use to fool tourists. I know we're not supposed to have stuff like this here in the Empire, so I don't really tell anyone what it is. Agent Kaplan stepped forward, grunting out a laugh and jerking his thumb at Isaac. Yeah, he's so attached to it now. One time, about a year ago, we were hit by a concussion mine while riding in a ground vehicle on a mission off-planet. Isaac here was knocked out, and when medical teams were loading him into an evac shuttle and cutting off his shirt to get some stray shrapnel, he starts screaming about not cutting off his prayer cord. Isaac scowled at Kaplan. Yeah, that's right. And maybe it was because of whatever, I don't know, charm or magic those nuns put in this string that I'm still here. Julian smiled at the two comrades. Well, gentlemen, I cannot say what is charmed and what is not, but I do hope that if I find myself in what you might call a jam, a pencil like this would be sufficient enough to work myself out. Both Isaac and Kaplan chuckled. Isaac nodded down to the scattered piles of paper and books. I knew, Tao. This sort of needless mess is just his style. You got someone to help you clean all this up? Julian sighed, looking down at what once had been the contents of his neatly, to him, organized desk. It does not appear that anything is missing, other than the computer that the commander took during the time of my abduction. I do not suspect I will be getting a receipt for that. Perhaps the commander has lost interest in any follow-up investigation if he were indeed serious in the first place. Kaplan waved his hand at the scattered piles. I'll get one of ours to come watch the place, and we can at least make sure it's secure until you can come sort it out. Without the brains of the operation, brutes like us don't stand much of a chance. Isaac snorted. Hey, speak for yourself. I was an Imperium scholar. Kaplan waved a dismissive hand at his partner. Yeah, on a track and field scholarship. He turned back to Julian. If that's all... The director wants us to deliver you to whatever location you request. Where to, agent? Julian tucked the pencil behind his ear, elated at its return, then placed his hands on his hips and surveyed the chaos around his feet. No time to clean up now. Besides, everything here, aside from the books, was stored in digital backups in his undisturbed archives. Only two priorities remained. First, ensuring that he protected Samantha and her mission from any further interference here on Kestris, and that meant getting out ahead of Rennick. Second, if the state of his office was a portent of things to come, readying another version of the disappearing act he'd prepared for Samantha, only this time for himself. Thank you, agents. I believe that returning to my personal residence will be sufficient. Its security enhancements are more than adequate for... Julian paused, hearing the calm around his wrist chime an unfamiliar tone, his expression must have betrayed his surprise. Agent Siddig, Isaac said, subtly unbuttoning his 5E standard tactical suit jacket. Something wrong? Kaplan's hand moved toward the bolt pistol on his hip as he turned in a defensive posture to cover the room's only entrance or exit. Julian held up a hand. No, no, agents. Stand down. This is just an... 
infrequently used channel, nothing more. Julian read the message on his comm. It was just as he'd hoped. Gentlemen, it appears I have a new destination in mind, though I have a car of my own I can summon. Isaac looked to Kaplan, then back to Julian. Agent, I'm not sure that's in line with the director's orders. Julian smiled, clasping his hands behind his back. Oh, it most certainly is not. And neither will be my asking you to look the other way as I sidle past you and out into the night. A fact you will wish to keep well compartmentalized in the interests of imperial security. Julian lifted the pencil from his ear and tapped the end against his temple. Trust the brains. Isaac and Kaplan each exchanged the same disappointed glower as Julian turned his body and silently slid between them, disappearing into the hall. Hey everyone, it's Eric. Thanks for listening to episode 34. The chapters uh, that focus on kin are some of my favorite. You know, I can't really say why. I just like, you know, interesting characters that, you know, she doesn't have fighting skills. There's no action scenes. Um, there's not really anything about her that would, you know, make her a, a secret agent like Samantha or, or Rennick. But, you know, Kin has talents and, you know, a role to serve in the story of her own, which, you know, is kind of unique. And it's just fun to try to figure out how to get her in and out of situations that are almost entirely intangible and just have to do with the situation. And this scene with Yadav, um, it's one that... Yeah, you know, when I write it, it doesn't the, the, all the little plot points and who finds out what and what does she learn about Julian and Samantha and what do they piece together? All those puzzle pieces. I don't really know what those are during the first draft because I, I know it's going to be changed when, when you go back and edit the stuff that came previous. And so when I send this, you know, rewrite to the editor, there's all sorts of nitpicks around well, you know, how did Julian know this? Or where did they find this out? Or how would they have made this leap? And, you know, they, they wouldn't have known this yet. You haven't mentioned it. Or, oh, you mentioned something previously and now they could bring it up. So you kind of have to go back and figure out that everything that Ken and Yadov says is, it's not like it's plot hole free, but you want to make it as tight as possible because, you know, they're talking about material plot points. And so I would say out of the 60 planned, you know, episodes, chapters in this book, you know, there's... You know, you know, maybe 10 of them where the actual plot of the story is talked about by the characters and it has to be consistent and it has to make sense you know, internally with the story and it has to all line up. So now Kin can't make a guess out of nowhere. Something that happened before has to lead her to figure out what Clark and Julian are doing and then tell Yadav and all that. So these ones take a lot of editing. Um, if you find any plot holes, you know, let me know. Uh, email me. We'll be back, uh, you know, next Monday with episode 35. It's going to be a fun one. I'm back with the crew of the Matilda. The Matilda crew gets a lot of time here at the end of Act 2, you know, before we kind of get back to the Terminus. We had a lot of stuff without the crew. Now we're back with the crew. Um, and if you're listening, you know, to these little snippets at the end of the episodes, 
Uh, no one really emails me. There's still no one. 35 episodes in, no one emails me. So if you if you email me and tell me you listen to this one, I will write you in as a background character with a line or two into an upcoming chapter. I'll sneak you in. And you can tell me whatever you want to be. You let me know. I'll, I'll make you. You want to be a secret agent? You want to be an Imperium spy? You want to be a, a janitor on the Terminus? Let me know. Otherwise, go check out ericflowers.com. You know, check out the things on uh, on Amazon, on Twitter, Eric underscore Flowers. Otherwise, I'll see you back with the Matilda for episode 35.